All right, all right. Well, we're going to get moving here. It's great to see you all. I want to thank Giovanni for leading us in worship, doing a great job. Yeah, we can thank him. He and I actually used to lead worship together at McLean Bible, so it's awesome just sitting under his leadership. And so thank you, G, wherever you're at. Uh, so, guys, it's great to be here preaching to you this morning. We're going to be in Ephesians 4, uh, continuing in our series entitled Called to Belong. And so we've been looking at Ephesians 4, which is basically the calling on our lives to be united as a church body, and then how we're called to be equipping each other for the sake of gospel ministry. And so a quick recap of where we've been the last month or so. So we studied what God's vision for the churches. Uh, we've looked at how we are reconciled to God and how that leads to us being reconciled to one another as a body. We've looked at how meaningful church membership protects our unity as a church, and then we've studied about how the Christian life was always meant to be lived in community, not in isolation. We're going to dig into that a little bit more today. So today our text is Ephesians 4, verses 17 uh, to 24, and this passage talks about how Christians are called to be putting off the old self, or the old man is what it refers to, and to be instead putting on the new self and the new man, and to be walking forward in holiness and in righteousness, both individually and corporately. And so let me read our text for us today, and then I can pray for us, and we can dig in. So Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 is where we're going to pick up. It says, Now, I, now this I say, and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding. They're alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their hearts. They have become callous and they have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But this is not the way that you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Let me pray for us. Father God, the fact that we can even have a conversation about walking in righteousness as opposed to walking in darkness because of what you've done through your son is an incredible fact that I just don't want us to miss. And so, Lord, we worship you, we praise you, we thank you for the fact that you have called us to walk in this new way of living. And Lord, that's hard, that's not an easy thing to do in light of the world that we live in and in light of our flesh and our sin. And so I pray that you just speak to us now as you Show us what this looks like moving forward in holiness, fleeing our old manner of living and walking in the way that you have set up for us, your believers, your children. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us. Lord, we pray that you would speak to us from your word. And it is in your name we pray. Amen. All right, about probably four or five years ago, I heard a great sermon from the Village Church, which is a big church in Dallas, Texas. Matt Chandler is the pastor. And one of the campus pastors was preaching um, and he was speaking in his sermon out of the book of James. And he was talking about transformation in the Christian life and really persevering in the faith. So kind of a similar sermon to what we're going to be looking at today. And I just want to start off by sharing a brief excerpt from his sermon, as I think it will really help frame our discussion for today. So listen to this. Um, he says this about 
persevering in the faith and about the Christian transformation. He says, if we don't have a picture or a clear vision of where God is taking us, then we will struggle. We will fail. We will drift. We will not finish the race. James reveals to us what actually it is that changes and what motivates people. And what actually transforms character is beauty. You don't start with the rules. You don't start with the details. You start with beauty and you start with an attractive vision or a narrative of what is to be. This is a truth that we see even outside of the spiritual realm. For example, if you want to really give a child a vision of playing the violin well, you're not going to start with the rules uh, and the technicalities of playing the violin. No, instead, you're going to take her to a concert and let her watch a master violinist so that she can catch a vision for what playing the violin is and for what it could be. None of us would ever start by saying, well, here, here's what the rules are. And let me just walk you through this. Let me show you the details and the technicalities about playing the violin. Of course, we wouldn't do that. And it's not either or. You have to eventually get to the rules for sure. But if you really want something that's going to compel that little girl when her hands are tired and her fingers are sore, what is it that she needs? She's going to need something more than just a rule book. She is going to need a beautiful, compelling vision that in the midst of that trial and practice, in the midst of that weariness and discouragement or even failure, is going to compel her to persevere because she has a beautiful vision of what could be if she perseveres in her practice, right? It's the same way for us in Christ. Rules don't transform. Only beauty leads to transformation. And church, it is tempting to look at a passage like Ephesians 4 uh, verses 17 to 24, and to read it off in isolation as a list of do's and don'ts. So we, so we look at this, right? And our tendency is to think, okay, I gotta, gotta put off the old self. I gotta put on the new self. I've gotta be renewed. I've gotta be holy. I have to be righteous. I've gotta make the list, grip my teeth, try real hard. But that normally doesn't work, right? Because rules by themselves don't transform. Only beauty transforms. And so church, as we get into a topic that is essentially about Christian transformation at its core, growing in holiness. I want to lay a foundation for us before we even begin digging into this text or talking through practical stuff, which we will. Before that, I want to lay a foundation, and the foundation is this, that we're not going to be able to effectively put off the old self and move forward in holiness unless we are daily reminding ourselves and refreshing ourselves in the beautiful vision for Christian holiness that Paul presents us with in the book of Ephesians. Because by the time Paul gets here to chapter four, uh, in this passage, there's a lot that he assumes that we understand, that he's been building a case for since chapter one about the Christian calling to be holy and to be righteous, that I want to make sure that we really understand. And so in an attempt to ensure that we don't fall into the error of reading this passage in isolation... I want to bring in some context by looking back into the preceding chapters of Ephesians that I think illuminate for us not only the need for holiness, but the beautiful vision that God has had since before time began for his children to be set apart and to be distinct. So we're going to look at real quickly, uh, to start us off, we're going to look at four truths regarding God's vision for a holy people. God's vision for a holy people. And the first one is in chapter 1. It's verses 3 and 4. Y'all can turn there with me. Chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. 
And it says this. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. So truth number one is this. Since before the foundation of the world, God appointed that we would be holy and be blameless. So the Lord desires for his children uh, to know that since before time he chose and he appointed that we would walk in holiness and be blameless. Now we see this language all over the New Testament, right? About how God's children are called, they're, they're chosen. And we see this language again here in the context of how we're, we're being chosen for holiness. And what's so important about this language is how it relates to our Christian identity in the sense that it reminds us of the certainty of God's promise to make us holy and to make us blameless in him. And the Lord does this because he knows that there's going to be so many times in our Christian walk when we're going to be tempted to despair in light of our own sin or in light of our weakness or inability. Right? And so he, he gives us these reminders, these sure promises uh, that help us and that anchor our souls to the fact that he has promised, he has promised to make us holy and blameless. We already know that he views us as holy through Christ, uh, but in addition to that, he's going to redeem our broken lives. He's going to make you more like Jesus, and he's going to bring life to your mortal bodies, as he talks about in Romans 6. So the first thing Paul wants us to see is that holiness is something that is promised and assured for those who place their faith in Christ. You can take that uh, to the bank, which is awesome. So again, since before the foundation of the world, God appointed that we would be holy and blameless. Truth number two is in chapter two, verse 10. It says this. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. So truth number two, we are his workmanship, created in Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand. So right off the bat, we again see the, sim the same language uh, reiterated about how God in advance has prepared us to walk in good works. But now he adds on to that. And we see that God's people are not the ones who make themselves holy, but it's Christ doing the work in us. We are his workmanship. We aren't our own workmanship. And that's an important distinction, right? Because going back to what we said earlier, making the list, trying harder in our own strength is our natural tendency. The Lord knew that this would be our natural inclination. And so because of our sin nature, instead of confessing our need to the Lord, we inherently say, Lord, I don't need you. I got this on my own. Because of that, that's why he has to say it so many times through, through Paul and Ephesians and throughout the rest of the New Testament, that he is the one doing the work in us. He's steering the ship. He is in control. We are his workmanship, not our own. And so when we read the command in Ephesians 4 to be holy and to be righteous, uh, instead of that being a burden on us, uh, we can actually take heart because we understand that God's vision for holiness in our lives has always been about the work that he does in us. So we are his workmanship, created in Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand. Third truth, chapter 3, verses 8 to 10. Paul says, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ 
and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. And listen to this, verse 10. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So truth number three regarding God's vision for a holy people. God makes his church holy so that his wisdom might be displayed. Man, I love this one. Again, verse 10, look at that. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known. So this fits really well with what Paul has been saying in Ephesians 4 about uh, being unified and about building one another up and about equipping each other. Paul emphasizes all this so, so strongly because of this verse right here. Paul is telling us that through you, church body, the wisdom and the grace of God is going to be proclaimed in the world. And the reality that we really need to grasp here is that the more unified and loving we are as a church body, the more that, that God's wisdom and that God's truth is going to be proclaimed in and through us to the world, which is awesome. So much of Ephesians is about the church body working together so that, the people, so that people see Jesus in us, so that we function as conduits of God's grace and his truth. And that's really important, obviously, since we know that the world operates counter to the wisdom of God. They need to see this message. And that's why we're taking so much time to walk through Ephesians 4, because we want God to be seen through us, and we want to be functioning properly as the Lord intended as a church. So again, we want his wisdom to be made known in the world because it's a broken place that only he can fix. And if we really want to see wis the wisdom of God proclaimed in Herndon, then we will be a holy people. If we want to be evangelistic and sharing who God is, then we will lock arm in arm to pursue holiness in our lives, both individually and corporately. So again, God makes his church holy so that his wisdom might be displayed. And then we come to our fourth truth. Uh, chapter four, where we've been. Chapter four, I'm going to do verse one and 13. It says this. I therefore a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And then he unpacks for a few verses what walking worthy looks, looks like. And then in verse 13, he says this. So we're to walk worthy, verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So truth number four is this. We walk in a worthy manner so that we attain unity and maturity in the faith. God's vision for a holy people is that we would be continually maturing and moving forward in our faith, never remaining stagnant, but constantly discovering more of who he is, more of his plan for us and his purposes for our lives, and how he calls us to ever increasingly uh, be unified together, helping one another to grow. And Paul tells us why maturing is so important as it enables us to be rooted in sound truth of the gospel and not be carried away by worldly doctrines or philosophies or teachings, but instead to be speaking the truth in love and becoming more and more like Jesus, our Savior. So we see that a significant part of God's vision for holiness is the continual maturing of his children in grace and in truth and in love. A mature people will be a holy people, and a holy people will be ever maturing in their faith. The two necessarily just reinforce one another, right? So we want to walk in a worthy manner so that we might attain unity and maturity in our faith. 
And so in light of those truths, uh, Paul sets up all this framework regarding God's vision for his people to be holy in the chapters preceding our, our passage today. So that by the time we reach verses 17 to 24, Paul just assumes that you understand that holiness is something that God has ordained for his people before we were even born, that we are his workmanship and that he is the one empowering us, and that God uses a holy and a maturing church body to declare his wisdom and his truth. So Paul assumes now that we know all of this, that we get it, and that we recognize the importance and the necessity of Christian holiness and righteousness and pursuing this. And so church, this is the beautiful vision of holiness that God has for his people to be holy and to be set apart. This is the beautiful vision that we are given to remember uh, even when walking in holiness is hard or when it goes against what the culture is telling us to do. And so now, in light of that, uh, we see so much more of the motivation behind Paul's exhortation to live holy lives as Christians. We see that this isn't just a, a stale list of arbitrary commands, but that the call to holiness both individually and as a church is the purpose of our very existence as the Lord uses it to proclaim to the world the infinite holiness of God and his kindness and that he would redeem us and make us holy as he is holy. Isn't that awesome? And so in light of that, we arrive at our text for today. And I want us to read it now in light of that context that Paul sets up in Ephesians. Uh, in light of the awesome vision that God has for his people to be holy. So let's jump in and get to it. And one thing briefly just to note uh, from this passage is that Paul is drawing a stark comparison between those who walk according to the world's standard and then those who walk according to God's standard of holiness. Paul wants us to see and really to feel the difference between the two. So just notice that. So I'm going to pick us up again in our text for today, verse 17. Now I say this and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding. They're alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their hearts. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. So we'll stop there. Just a few quick observations. So it talks about how the Gentiles, meaning unbelievers in this context, uh, are darkened in their understanding in futility of thinking. So we know that that's not true of us now because we have the wisdom of God that isn't just settling in our hearts and transforming us personally. It's moving through us to declare the wisdom of God outside of our lives to others, as we read about in Ephesians 3. So we're not still walking in darkness. We are not still walking without understanding. God's moving in us. He's teaching us. And his spirit in us is testifying of who Christ is. John 15, 26 talks about this. We also see from this passage about how the world is callous, how they've given themselves up to sensuality, to greediness, to impurity. And we know that this also isn't what we identify with anymore because as we saw in chapter 4, 1, and 13, uh, we're growing in our ability to walk in a manner that is worthy of our gospel calling. And so we are now ever increasing, uh, increasingly pursuing maturity in the faith, which just results in holy living. And just a, just a quick disclaimer, lest we be discouraged, uh, Paul is writing this to these people, to the Ephesians, because they still struggled with these things, Right? Otherwise, if they didn't and they were just doing great, he wouldn't have written this text. We wouldn't have this. 
But he's reminding them, as, as we must constantly be reminded, because we're weak, that even though we still struggle, this isn't what we're identified with anymore if we have placed our faith in Christ. We've been changed and we are being transformed now into a new way of living and operating that is in line with what God intended for humanity from the beginning. So Paul wants us to see that this is not how we operate anymore. This is how the world thinks and operates. We now identify with Christ. And so we are being moved progressively from this old way of living to a new way of living. Let's keep going. Verse 20. So in speaking about verses 17 and 19, he says, verse 20, but that is not the way that you learned Christ. And this is really a great summarizing statement uh, that affirms what we just looked at, basically saying, in light of all that junk that we saw in verses 17 and 19, this is not the way that you learned Christ. I like what the NIV says. It says, this is not the way of living that you have been taught by Christ. So don't live like that because it's a lie, Christian. And he's reminding us again because we forget so easily. Verse 21. So now assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, and we can pause right here. Verse 21 functions really as a transition point in Paul's argument that he's making. He's saying, so now I'm assuming that you've, you've heard the truth. You know what the truth is. You know what Jesus taught. And so now that truth impressing upon us it demands a response, right? We can't just stay neutral now. We can't just continue in sin. That's not our identity anymore. That's not who we are. We know who we are, right? The truth has been revealed to us. And that's not it, verses 17 and 19. The former way of living according to the world standard is not truth. We know our identity. It has been laid claim over our lives that we will be blameless because our king is blameless. That's not us. We can't stay there. We're called to something so much better. And here it is in verse 22. Here's what we are called to now. So again, verse 21, a little bit of context. Assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Verse 22, we are called to put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Actually, verse 22, we'll stop right there. So I love what Paul says here in verse 22. He says, put off the old self. He says, this belongs to your former manner of living. And so he's saying, that's not you anymore. That's your old life. That's your former manner of living. It's dead. It's gone. You are a new creation. You have a new identity in Christ. You still struggle for sure, but the Lord is moving us in a new direction to a new way of living. And he says, I view you now, Christian, as holy through Jesus, and I'm making you more like myself. Let me take you there. Let me show you where I'm leading you, church. And so then verse 23 and 24, to wrap us up here, he says, so we're, we're fleeing from the old way of living. Verse 23, and we are called to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. I love verse 23 because it communicates to us that we now have access to a totally different mindset from our former way of thinking, a totally different way of thinking. And it's just so cool to see this work that the Lord does in renewing our minds and our hearts. And just a quick personal example, I feel like probably like the last couple of years, the Lord has been, uh, and I've been dialoguing with this a little bit about, uh, a little bit about this with my wife, Julie, just about uh, where I find my joy in life. And certainly growing up as a kid, teenager, and even in my 20s, so much of my joy was always rooted in just personal pleasure, right? Just things that 
that I enjoyed or whatever it was. And I feel like just with a few different circumstances and things that the Lord is showing me, just the first fruits of this, is that so much more now my joy is being rooted in others' joy or even in serving others. And it's crazy to see uh, the Lord doing this just overhaul in my thinking of where I'm deriving joy and pleasure from in life. And it's awesome because it seems like it's slowly beginning to shift from Nick's joy being primarily rooted in Nick's pleasure to now Nick's joy being rooted in others' joy and pleasure and even serving. And it's going slow, but it's awesome. And it gets me excited for what the Lord is going to keep doing, this work of renewing our minds, renewing my mind. And so watching the Lord do this work is astounding. So we're being renewed. We're putting on the new self, which is verse 24, created after the likeness of God. So this renewed way of thinking that we see coming out of this new identity which for me looks like just being not self-focused, but being other-focused, others-focused, it reveals more about who God is. Because it says right here in black and white that this renewed way of living is created after the likeness of God. So in seeing this work that the Lord does in our lives of renewing and transforming us, we grow to understand more of what God is like. And how awesome is it knowing that we serve a God who gets pleasure from loving and serving others and who is committed to the joy of his creation. And uh, just a quick sidebar, this is a whole other conversation. Uh, but one of my favorite things that I've learned from, from my seminary classes was from my class on the Trinity. So a whole class devoted to studying the relationship of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Really good. And basically, the cool thing that I learned was how each member of the Trinity, we see this from Scripture, each member of the Trinity, Father, Son, Spirit, all really exist to serve the other. And how we see from Scripture and really even the Gospels, because, man, Jesus just comes in on the scene and he blows up in the best way possible. Uh, the, at the time, the understanding of who God was, and especially as, as, he, as he was talking to the Pharisees and some of these Jewish believers about how he related to the Father and, uh, and the Spirit, and it was very interesting, it was awesome. But Jesus in Scripture reveals to us how the members of the Trinity are always about serving one another, and in love, even deferring to one another's authority. And so further still, we see how this self-sacrificing um, Trinitarian love extends from the Godhead to us as people, as, church, as the church. John 10.10, 10, Jesus says, I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. John 15, 11, he says, I told you these things, I've told you these things, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. And so, man, in light of this, how can we not want to serve this God? How can we not want to walk in holiness and honor him in this way? After seeing that this is what our God is like, he's a king, but he's a servant. He's committed to the joy of his creation. He's incredible. And so we are called to put on the new Man, which is created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And so I hope that walking through this text in light of that context of Ephesians in mind, uh, God's vision for his people called to be holy has been just helpful. And that that context better illuminates the joy and the privilege that it is to grow in holiness and righteousness as a church. And so as we wrap up, uh, we talked a lot about Christ doing the work in us and how we are his workmanship. And it's tempting for us to ask the question, okay, what does that actually mean? What does that actually look like, Christ doing the work in us? And so I want us very quickly to just look at three things 
uh, practically that I think if we pursue these things, it will put us in a position for the Lord to ever increasingly take over our lives and enable us to move forward in holiness and maturity. So three things real quick. Number one, walking in holiness, it starts with prayer. So it starts with us pleading for God to do a work in us. And this is the model that we always see in Scripture. Every time the Lord does any significant work or move in Scripture, uh, in the Bible, it's always preceded by someone coming to God in humility, asking the Lord to show up and to do a work. I couldn't help but think of David in, uh, in Psalm 51. Uh, the, the, the Psalm 51 is a prayer of confession and a prayer to God after David has sinned and had committed adultery with Bathsheba. And so he prays this. He says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. You know, we tend to view the men and the women of the Bible as just these A-plus players who are always obedient, never messed up, and it's just not the case. David didn't wake up in the morning, eat his Wheaties, and just start crushing it. In light of his sin, he came and he wept at God's feet. And he begged the Lord to change him and to do a work in his life. He, he repented, right? And if we too are faithful to posture ourselves before him in humility, man, he's going to be faithful to show up and to uh, enable us to walk in holiness. But we have to make prayer a priority in our lives. That's number one. Number two, walking in holiness starts with intentionality. So, that, so as we all know, the old self is inherently deceptive and, and the flesh is going to, the, the devil is deceptive. We, t- we can all testify to based on the damage that sin has wrought on all of our lives in various ways and as evidenced by the baggage that we all have to certain degrees, right? So putting off of the old self, it must be dealt with intentionally. Renewing our minds is, is a very difficult thing. So as Christians, we should come up with a plan. We should set boundaries and sometimes even take hard or unpopular steps to see holiness encouraged in our lives. We should put ourselves in environments that encourage us to walk in further holiness. In Matthew 5, Jesus says, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. And the principle that we take away from that that strong word picture is to remove the impulse or to remove the thing in your life that causes you to sin or to doubt or to fear or the thing that hinders you from walking in holiness. And even though it's hard, we labor in this because we we know it's worth it, right? As we've seen from the text. We've seen God's beautiful vision for a holy people, and we know that it's worth fighting, and fighting for and intentionally uh, pursuing. And then lastly, walking in holiness happens in community. So this is why we emphasize community groups and other different community uh, building meetings and events at our church, because one of the primary ways that we grow in our faith is in the context of community. I would say it's probably the primary way that we grow. And it's not an accident that the two major themes of the book of Ephesians are holiness and unity in the body, the body building and equipping each other. All of the commands that Paul gives to the church about holiness in Ephesians and really in the broader New Testament are given within the context of community. It's given with the community, community church in mind, not in isolation. Paul knows that these two areas are linked and that holiness in the body is achieved most explicitly within the context of community. This is also why we've been emphasizing membership so hard the last month or so, because it allows us to hold one another accountable 
to the standard that the Lord has set for his children. So this isn't Grace Hill's standard in terms of membership. This is what the Lord has spoken in Scripture for his church. So again, if you're not involved in a community group, if you're not involved in the life of our church, get involved. We want to help you and to see you grow. And what I love about all these uh, practical takeaways that we've just looked at is how they all start and they end with him. It's, again, it's, it's not us doing the work. We have a role to play for sure, but it starts in prayer. It starts with us coming to him in hu- humility and us just bringing our need. And then it ends with him empowering the church body to minister to one another on his behalf. And so in closing, church, I want you guys to see the joy and the privilege that it is to walk in holiness, to walk in maturity, and to fight for holiness in our lives. I want us to keep the beauty of the gospel and the call in our lives to be holy because that's what's going to lead to effective mission, right? I just want to keep that in the forefront of our thinking because that is what's going to sustain us as we move forward in our mission. And then we've got to come to him in prayer. We have to be intentional. We have to make a plan. We have to lock arm in arm and resolve to do this together, even though sometimes life and community can be hard and stretching and trying because we were never meant to do it alone. So let's do the work. Let's get it done. And let's rest in him as he works in and through us for his glory. So I love you guys. Let me pray for us and we can wrap up as G and the band come back up on stage. So Lord, we pray that you would just continue to expand our view of why you call us to be holy. And Lord, how really that is not a burdensome call because you enable us, Lord, you equip us. And Father, if we just come and we sit at your feet, Lord, we will be empowered to do what you call us to do. And we will be the church, Father God, that you want us to be that is committed to Um, to honoring you, to sharing you, to being faithful in our community, to to proclaim your truth. And Lord, we just want to be a faithful church. And so I pray that uh, on the individual level, God, that we would take intentional steps to think through what areas of our lives need to be more fully surrendered to you and that you would help us. And Lord, that in light of that, the areas that we need help in, God, that we would uh, just band together as a church, that we would strengthen one another, that we would support one another and that we would grow so that we would be more and more um, what you call us to be, and we would see the work that you want to do through us. Father, we're broken vessels, but you can use us, and so we have confidence in that, and we love you. In your name we pray, amen.